Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. If you haven't done so, the newest episode of I Am Steve R, that is the recovery podcast, is also available on Apple Music and iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all those great places. Wherever you find quality podcasts, you can find I Am Steve R. So if you or someone you know is uh, dealing with or living with a life of chemical dependency or a life of recovery, perhaps you'll find some value in that. So that's out there. I'm trying to be a little more regular with that. I was pretty regular for a while and then you know, decided to write a book and uh, give you an update on that dog pile. Looks like we're about uh, three and a half, four weeks away from that book being shipped from the printer to the publisher. So it looks like we're in book release month and uh, you know they're locked in. That's, they're consistently saying this is the ship date. It's, uh, it's later this month. And so what will happen is those books will ship from the printer to the publisher. And then I'll go spend a couple days signing your books, and we'll get those bad boys out in the mail to you. And before you know it, they'll be in bookstores all across the great state of Mississippi. And, of course, you can find your copy at dogpilethebook.com. If you have not done so, you can order that. And, uh, again, it's been quite the process. It's one of those things, too. It's like you hear and see things in the news, and you don't know that they're real. And so it happens to you. Who knew there was a national paper shortage? I didn't know. Now I know. But uh, listen, we're looking for alternatives and looking for some assurances in relation to uh, subsequent printings because we're going to have to print a bunch more books because you guys are buying a lot of books. Of course, plenty of inventory uh, of the others. I guess we probably got, I don't know, maybe four to 500 copies of everything else. You know, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. You can get those ordered, too, at dogpilethebook.com. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, find that everywhere. Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. They can get it, take care of it for you. Uh, they, they know what to do. And, uh, again, I've had so many people, too, that have reached out, too, about the Stark Villains gear. Like, I shared a couple of uh, posts on social media people had sent to me wearing their Stark Villain hoodies, uh, which is outstanding. You guys look amazing. I've had a lot of people say, hey, Steve, where do I get it? Well, it's easy, StarkVillains.com. Very easy, very easy. And the fine folks at Deep South Pout take care of that for us. And uh, so many of you have been so gracious and, uh, and worn those. And I, I, I have said all along, that's one of the reasons that I named the book Stark Villains. I think that is a really cool play on words, and um, it's a really cool thing. A lot of people say, you know what, hey, that's who I am too. I don't mind being the bad guy. All right, so since we were together, there have been a couple things that have happened. You guys know that the, uh, the bowl season is winding down, unfortunately. The, the only positive about that is, is that we're about, uh, I don't know, seven weeks away from college baseball, 47-some-odd days, something like that. Before you know it, man, we'll be playing Long Beach State. They're a quality team. Looking forward to that. We're going to talk a lot of baseball here in the weeks to come. You can kind of keep up to what's going on. Gene Swindoll uh, has been doing the previews of the teams in the Southeastern Conference. And so those are up, and you can find those for free at jeanspage.com. Go check them out, of course, on all my social media feeds. So 
Let's get caught up on the bowl stuff. You know, obviously, uh, we were down in the dumps about our, our performance against Texas Tech, and I suspect we still are. And, uh, you know, listen, we, we very easily could have canceled the game. We could have, but we didn't. Now, even though we lost, I support that decision. I don't believe there's any glory in cowardice. And that's, I think, essentially what it boils down to. I don't think, well, let's cancel the game because we may lose. Well, if that's the case, let's never play Alabama, right? You go out there and you play. You play to win the game, as Herm Edwards said. You don't just play it to play it. You play to win. We went out there and we played, and we didn't play well, and we lost. It's behind us now. But looking around the rest of the league, what's happened in the last few days, of course, South Carolina, a huge win over North Carolina, 38-21 winners in that ballgame. So strike up the fighting Shane Beamers. Good job for those guys. They were projected to win, I think, four games this year. They end up winning seven, just like us. Now, they do get the benefit of the East kind of being down a little bit there, but the reality of it is they played a schedule, and they won seven games. So good for those guys, good for Shane Beamer. You know, he is a former Mississippi State assistant, married a Starkville girl, Sheriff uh, Steve Gladney's wife. So how about that? So a lot of connections uh, with us and Shane. Very happy for him. A lot of people are critical of that hire. A lot of people are critical of that hire. Uh, that Tennessee-Purdue game, as you guys know, that was an absolute barn burner of a game. I, I really felt that could be the most entertaining game of the SEC ball season. I suspect it is. I suspect that it will prove to be that's the case. We only got a couple bowl games left, but um, what a great game. And we've talked about the play, and the reality of it is this. I don't think his forward progress was stopped. However, if that's what the line judge said, then it's done. It's unfortunate that there is some controversy considering how great the game was. They may still be playing. I mean, it was incredible. And Purdue wins the game 48-45. I picked Tennessee in that ball game. Uh, Alabama, of course, handles Cincinnati. Really not a lot of uh, trepidation in that ballgame. It never, ever felt like Cincinnati had a chance to win. I do think it's great for college football that Cincinnati was in the playoffs. It makes perfect sense. Now, the, the, the question you begin to ask yourself is, if you're a G5 team, do you have to go undefeated? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Just how it's going to be. Quality competition. So it's good for the game Provides a little parity and some hope. And at the same time, too, it, it shuts up some of those G5 commissioners, too. It's like, yeah, Cincinnati made it, so you can make it, too. Stop complaining. Beef up your schedule. But Alabama wins. And, you know, it's so crazy, too. We talk about Nick Saban. And there are so many times that I've said this among friends. How great is it that we're allowed to see this? Yes, it means that we're playing for second at best in the SEC West. But what Alabama has done is remarkable. It's incredible. Now, the term, the GOAT, is thrown around so liberally these days that it's almost lost its value. But Nick Saban's the greatest of all time. He is. I don't think there's any room for debate. He is the greatest college football coach of all time. It doesn't matter how many assistant coaches leave. It doesn't matter, you know, how many players leave. The reality of it is Alabama is a machine. And Nick Saban's the guy driving the boat up there. And how wonderful is it that we get to witness all this live? And I think, you know, when he's, done, when he's gone, maybe we can appreciate it a little bit more because like, okay, well, that guy's gone, but, man, he was great. And it's so interesting, too, that it, I was caught up in it, too. Alabama seemed vulnerable to me this year. I didn't think they were a great team, and here they are playing for an AFL championship as the number one seed in the FBS playoff rankings. 
Georgia overwhelmed Michigan. I really thought this would be a better game. I if I picked Georgia to win. I did think it would be more competitive. It wasn't. And you could see the frustration in the Michigan players' faces. It's like, you know, okay, we're used to getting the edge here. Yeah, well, you hadn't played a linebacker core as fleet of foot as Georgia's. That's the thing about Georgia. It's just so remarkable. They have such speed, size, and tackling ability at every level of defense. There's just, you know, this is a historic defense. And they got smashed in the SEC title game. It's going to make that uh, NAFL title game so much more intriguing, I think. I think Georgia can do it. I really do. I really do. I, but I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, Penn State and Arkansas. And strike up Sam Pittman. I really thought Penn State would win the ball game. And one of the reasons why is, you know, Arkansas is a run first, first team. And so Penn State, that's what they see all the time. Now, Penn State obviously down five starters on defense. That certainly played a, a factor in the ball game. But what Sam Pittman has done is kind of similar to what Shane Beamer has done. A lot of people pan the higher, and now here he is going to finish in the top 20 this year. Big season for them. They were an older team. You know, we'll see what happens next year. But, uh, you know, when you run the football the way that they do, and they're very dynamic in how they do it, you can recruit to that offense pretty easily. It's easy to find players within your recruiting footprint to kind of continue to push that forward. And there are a lot of people out there, too, a lot of running backs who would prefer to play in a run-first offense. So is it sustainable at Arkansas? Yeah, I think it probably is. Do they contend for the West? I, you know, I don't think any of us can contend for the West as long as Nick Saban's still coaching. But Arkansas can be a solid 8-9 win team regularly. I, I, I believe that. I think we can be as well. Uh, Kentucky beats Iowa. And it wasn't an offensive masterpiece for either team, but it was a great college football game. I mean, it really was. And DeAndre Square, listen, one of the more well-respected players within our league, could barely walk, and he gets the game-clinching interception for Kentucky. Kind of a cool thing. And again, they're going to finish top 20. Pretty good deal. And a great ball game. Went down to the final final minute, I guess. But uh, very good effort there, a very entertaining ball game. Uh, the Sugar Bowl, you guys may be familiar with this one. You know, Baylor wins the game 21-7. I think I'm the only guy at Gene's page that picked Baylor to win. And, it, and maybe it's because of the fact that uh, I, maybe I was trying to, to wish it into reality. But here's the thing that I'll say, and I know many of you feel the same way. You know, Matt Corral, not necessarily the most likable guy, but the guy can really play football. He also had nothing to prove by playing in that ball game. And I respect him and commend him for playing in the game, no matter how it worked out. And of course, he gets knocked out of the ball game. And you know, it's, it's kind of like that Waterloo moment. It's like, you know what, hey, maybe I'm done here. And he's already had some ankle injuries, too. You know, I don't know if it was the same ankle or not, but, uh, you know, the Tennessee game, he had to run it, I think, 30, 32 times, something like that. Got a little beat up. He ran it pretty well against us. And I think his ability to run the football kind of disguised some of their offensive line problems as well. And you saw Baylor really feasted uh, in the second half, especially without Matt Corral being there. But uh, the reality of it is, is, no matter how you slice it, Ole Miss had a great season this year. They won't finish top 10, so we won't have to listen about that. But then they won't finish uh, you know, with a Sugar Bowl trophy, so we won't have to hear about that. But they're at the end of a talent cycle. But I do love all the social media doctors, man. I, I do. I love all these people that uh, 
you know, got their medical degree, I guess, from the University of Phoenix. Uh, you know, Matt Corral is out there on the sidelines, uh, no air cast, no brace, no protective boot, no ice pack. He's just out there on crutches. And then we want to freak out about it. I guess we want to impress our old Mets friends. Oh, my gosh, we're praying for him. Just stop. Stop. It's stupid. Stop. Be real. And I went on one of the Facebook groups and said, hey, you know, he's hurt. He's not injured. Oh, well, you don't know that. Well, I mean, you know, you're right. I don't know that. But I know this. I know that if he was injured, he wouldn't be on the sidelines walking around with his shoe off on, on, uh, on crutches. You know, it's, it's just so silly. The, the, the things that people want to argue with you about on social media are, are, are endless, and so many of them are so incredibly stupid. And then, of course, it comes out and you find out later that, no, there's no breaks and the x-rays were negative and, you know, it doesn't appear to be a major issue at all. And, of course, those people never come back and say, hey, I was wrong. Not never, never. Often in error, never in doubt. Stupid, man. i tell you what's not stupid. Bulldog Burger Company. Love those folks. Every time I go in there, it's a great quality meal. And, you know, here's the deal, too. And I don't know, I'm a busy guy. And so sometimes it's just easier for me to get food to go, uh, you know, especially with just me and the kid around these days. But, uh, you know, it's just so much easier sometimes just to go get something and bring it home. I don't spend a lot of time away from the computer. And so sometimes I eat at my desk. And that's the good thing about Bulldog Burger Company is that they do such a good job preparing and then preserving the food when you get home. You know, you don't have your meal like thrown in a million different directions. So if you're looking for food to go, Bulldog Burger Company is absolutely the way to go. I like going in and enjoying the great atmosphere, but sometimes I don't have time to do that. I'll meet a friend for lunch or, you know, sometimes I'll just pick up, you know, after a ball game or something, I'll, I'll go pick up some food and come home. And I'm always so pleased when I get it home because, number one, the quality of the food is so great, but also they just do such a good job preparing the food for the ride home. Three great locations to serve you now. University Drive right here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And then, of course, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. That's a guarantee. Absolute guarantee. And you, and you know what? You're good full. Those great portions, they're unmatched. There are a lot of people that want to sell you some food, but it's just some food. Get a lot of food. At Bulldog Burger Company. Get your money's worth at Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, so let's get to some other stuff. You know, we've got some big news going on. Of course, uh, perhaps the big story right now Makai Polk electing to transfer, transfer, electing to get pro, go pro this year. Transfer would have been really detrimental. But uh, either way, this, they mean the same thing's gone. Now, we have talked about that on the, on the show before. So if you are a Boneyard listener, you're not totally surprised by this. We, we have talked about that was the situation that we were monitoring, told that he and Ty Wheat and Randy Charlton were going to get their, uh, their NFL feedback. I'm told he doesn't even have his draft grade. He has just pretty much figured, hey, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to get out of here uh, and get on to pro football. And it's not a criticism of Mississippi State. I think it's important to understand that anytime somebody leaves, a lot of times we get our feelings hurt. Uh, that's not the case here. Makai Polk led the team, a record-breaking season for us, played in 13 games, 105 receptions, 1,046 yards, nine touchdowns, averaged 10 yards a reception, 50-yard uh, long, and an average 80 yards per game. And that goes down as one of the greatest uh, receiving seasons in Mississippi State history. 
he does have uh, you know some eligibility left, and that was one of the things that was so um, you know I guess inviting about getting him as he wasn't just a one-year guy. We could have had him for a couple of years, and um, you know it's just you know, it's disappointing, but at the same time too, you know you look at it and say you know what you want what's best for the young man, and you can kind of flip the script a little bit here. And tell these new transfers, hey, look, listen, we can do for you the same thing we did for Makai Polk. This is a guy that was underutilized and underappreciated at Cal. And he comes in here and in one year catches over 100 balls. Uh, single season receiving leader, 105, yard, 105 receptions. The number two was Fred Ross, 88. We had never had a 100-catch guy, ever. He also gets the 1,046 yards. Uh, needed the ball game to get there, but that pass is Marty McDowell. Way back in 1978, that was the single-season leader in receiving yards, and Makai Polk has now exceeded that. Now, here's the deal, too. There are some names on this list that have been on there for decades. As long as Mike Leach is here, those names are in jeopardy. Marty McDowell, one of the greatest receivers to ever play at Mississippi State. Maybe you're unfamiliar with him. Let me just kind of put this in perspective for you. So you, the career receiving yards record holder is Fred Ross. It used to be Chad Bumpus. So it's been some modern stuff. But prior to that, Marty McDowell, who graduated in 1980, amassed 2,214 yards. Pretty cool. David Smith, number four on your list with 2168, he held the school record for 10 years. Number five on the list, Eric Moulds. Think about that for a second. We've had four receivers have more career, career receiving yards than Eric Moulds. Justin Jenkins, Deronye Wilson, Sammy Milner, Danny Knight, Terrell Grendel. You know, some, some big names. Most of them in the modern era of, of college football. But you can go ahead and expect that there's going to be a lot of Bulldogs in the Mike Leach era that see their names kind of littered all over the Mississippi State record books. But, but, again, Makai Polk comes in here, record-breaking receiver for us, and we wish him the absolute best. Wish him the absolute best. Not exactly sure what's going to happen you know, next with him. And, oh, another record, too. He's actually fourth on this list. A single-game receptions record against A&M. He had 13. We targeted him a little bit more in the fourth quarter. He might have broken the records 15, Eric Moulds and Colin Hill. Did you know that? Colin Hill, 15 receptions against Kentucky. Last year, ties the school record. His final game at Mississippi State, and he uh, matches the school record. So, Makai Polk uh, leaving. Now, we didn't discuss this last week, but uh, Armandus Cooley. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. 
Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Defensive tackle prospect out of Wayne County High School is also uh, moving on. He is transferring to Southern Miss. And good for him. I think he can play there. I think he is a guy that uh, can make some things happen for them. Never really found any traction here at Mississippi State. A little bit of a surprise for me. Disappointing for sure. Disappointing. Really thought a lot of him. He played defensive end in high school there at Wayne County. I went and watched him play. Uh, one Friday night, and I was impressed with his motor. But for one reason or another, it just never really came together here uh, at Mississippi State. Again, you like the young man, and you wish him the absolute best, but uh, just a guy that just it never really came together for him here. But there will be others, and you know that that's a safe bet, right? I mean, when I when I tell you guys that weeks in advance, it's not like we're breaking any news. I mean, this is a new day and time in college football. You're going to have guys coming and going. Uh, into the portal. And we've had a couple go. You know, Janari Dean, of course, uh, transferred to Southern Miss, and now Coolio go down there. And you know what? Hey, good for those guys and good for Southern Miss. And good for Will Hall for giving those guys an opportunity. And, and I think Southern Miss is on the upswing. I really do. And I think a lot of it's going to be built on a foundation of in-state prospects. And so Janari Dean wants to play running back. He'll get the chance to do that at Southern Miss. Armandus Coolie simply wants to get on the field. So hopefully that works out for him. Uh, but there will be others leave. And, again, I'm not breaking any news there. I won't, I won't give out specific names. I've heard a few. But things changed. There were some guys I was told uh, a month ago who were going to transfer have elected to stay. And a lot of it, too, when you look at the numbers out there in the transfer portal, they're pretty staggering. And they really are. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And, and I, I think it's important to understand, too, a lot of the, a lot of the guys in the portal are walk-ons looking – you know, for a scholarship opportunity somewhere. I think that's important to understand, too. A lot of people think, hey, you know, we're all you know caught up in all this and we, we forget this. But he, here are the latest numbers from the transfer portal. So as of a couple days ago, I guess it's three days ago, there were 2,646 FBS players that had entered the transfer portal. That's a pretty wild number. To put that in perspective... During the 2019-2020 recruiting cycle, it was 1,692. So we're almost 1,000 more players in the portal. We will easily surpass that. 
the numbers had gone down from uh, from 19 to 20. Uh, not not substantially bid gone down, but the numbers have skyrocketed this year. And and part of that too is I think a lot of people look at guys like Makai Polk, and they say, hey, you know, I'm kind of down the depth chart here. Maybe I'm the third or fourth receiver here. I'll go be Makai Polk, you know. But you could end up being, you know, a guy like Cam Gardner. You know, Cam is at Mississippi Valley State now. And so, I don't know if that if he would say that was the best decision for him or not. And I, I'm not throwing in any way any criticism in his direction. I'm just trying to point out that a lot of people look at Makai Polk and, and probably the greatest example of the NCAA transfer portal as, as a success story is Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow, of course, buried on the depth chart Ohio State, comes to LSU, puts together one of the greatest seasons in the history of college football, wins the Heisman Trophy, wins an AFL championship. Uh, the reason we all know that is because that is the exception rather than the rule. There are going to be thousands of players, maybe not quite that many, but there will be hundreds of players that are former scholarship players that will not have a scholarship this year. So the question then becomes who pays for their education? Well, they do. Many of them don't have the ability to do so. So what happens next? You know, once you've already exhausted two years of eligibility, you can't go to junior college. So what are you going to do? And that's the risk. It's like, you know, the, the old meme out there, you can play stupid games, win stupid prizes. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to go bet on myself. And then they find out that their value is not what they thought it was. The grass isn't always greener. And there are a lot of people that are critical of the transfer portal. I think that's probably the biggest criticism that I would have is that there are a lot of players out there basically in college football purgatory. At the end of the day, it's their decision, and you have to live with the consequences of that decision. I just think there needs to perhaps be greater education about the transfer portal. Maybe there's a waiting period. I don't know. But it's like everybody goes in, they get immediate eligibility, and they think, hey, you know, I think I can make it at Alabama. No, you can't. You can't. So you, you didn't get recruited by Alabama in high school, and you've ridden the bench at, you know, say, you know, Memphis. What's to say that Nick Saban's going to be like, you know what, hey, we, that guy's been underutilized. We can make that guy happen. No, it doesn't happen that way. So some things have to change. I don't think there's any questions about that. Some things have to change. Um, you know, and I, I think the thing about the transfer portal, too, is, it can be a good thing, and everybody advertises and promotes the guys that have done well. Nobody writes those stories about the guys that it doesn't work out for. And I think it's important to tell both sides of that story because I think that's part of the problem with the transfer portal. It looks so inviting. I'm going to go in the portal. I'm going to go in the portal. And then next thing you know, you find out, hey, I'm not as highly covered as I wanted to be. And then there's the ego involved. And there are a few guys that have come out of the portal and said, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I've got the option to stay. I'm going to stay here. Then not every school may feel that way, you know. But nobody talks about those guys. I mean, we talked about uh, Dorenza, J.D. Dorenza recently. He goes in the portal and within 48 hours has 25 offers, most of them from the Power Five. Well, of course, he is a two-time All-American on the FCS level. That's not you. Oh, well, I played here. No, yeah, you did. This is a guy that was expected to enter the NFL draft this year and has now been advised because of a very, very, very competitive draft pool this year to go back and play another year and go play on the FBS level and prove his worth. Probably going to make himself a lot of money by doing that, provided he stays healthy. 
but he's the exception rather than a rule. And the thing that I go back to, there's a reason a lot of these guys are playing FCS football in the first place. And, again, that's not necessarily being critical of them. there, There needs to be a league where everybody can play for the most part, right? But there's a reason guys play at the FCS level. and they just, Maybe they didn't have the foot speed. Maybe they didn't have the size. Maybe they've achieved it now, you know, after three years at that level, graduated early. Now you get a chance to go further your opportunities, and that's where I think the transfer portal helps. You know, what the transfer portal, the bad part of this is, is all these guys that, that they are under the delusion because they listen to people that don't know anything about the process. Oh, man, you, you ought to be you, – you could be here. You could win an NFL championship. You could be in the league, and then the next thing you know, they, they wind up with nothing. Or they wind up going to Iowa Wesleyan or somewhere like that. All due respect to Iowa. But you understand my point. There are no guarantees in life. I mean, just because you go on a transfer portal doesn't mean that people are going to explode – and come beg you to be part of their program. And we have seen a lot of that at Mississippi State. A lot of our guys have gone in the portal, have not found great success. This year it's a little different. Rodney Gross, of course, ends up at Arizona State. Wish him the best. And, of course, Aaron Brule, a guy that we all really like, headed to Michigan State. But that's not the case with everybody. Now, the fact that Rodney Gross got on a power five opportunity was kind of a surprise to me, to be honest with you. He's still young, still developing. You know, he's had a little time, had some decent film. You know, Aaron Brule, no surprise at all. But some of the other guys will look at that and say, hey, you know, listen, I've got opportunities. And and thankfully this year, the guys have gone into portal from Mississippi State, uh, for the most part, I guess London Craft, I don't know what he's decided to do just yet. But the guys that have gone in have found places to play. And I understand, too, that your coaching staff is kind of part of that, too. It's like, you know, they, they are more than happy to get on the phone with another school and say, hey, here's the real deal behind the kid. There's nothing to worry about here, you know, or, you know, the character issues are, are very uh, minimal. There's not anything out there that's kind of like a, a, an underlying issue that led to them leaving. There's not a disciplinary issue. He wasn't a bad kid. They're not required to do that, but they are doing that. And I understand, too, that, you know, when Janari Dean got ready to go into the portal, that uh, there was some communication, you know, between Mississippi State and Southern Miss. And I think that's a good thing. You know, help these guys. Hey, it didn't work out for us here, but we're not just going to, you know, leave you at the dance. You know, we're going to get you home. And so good for those guys all the way around. But there will be other defections. There will be. There's some other guys out there, and, and again, I can't put a number on it because you never, you never know. I mean, you got to think there's what 120 guys, you know, on the roster, including walk-ons, and of course, you know, there'll be some walk-on going the portal, and everybody will write a story about it. You know, what's happening? What's happening? Well, the guys trying to get a scholarship somewhere, right? So I think that's an important aspect of it too. Take it all with a grain of salt. But but Makai Polk leaving is significant. It is. It is absolutely significant. It is a big loss for our team. It's not totally unexpected, but it is a disappointment. But you, you hope the best for him. Selfishly, we'd love for him to come back. And to be honest with you, I think most of us would agree, despite the fact that he pulled in 100 passes this year, that uh, he could probably replicate that or be even better next year. And the fact that he's not on many all-SEC lists, I think kind of shows that he still has something left to prove. But again, it's his decision. We support him as he moves forward and and hope that uh, he has a very productive NFL career. 
you know, Mississippi State gets some benefit from that too. But uh, we are preached of Makai Polk's uh, one year here in Starkville and his contributions to our program. And I think we'll all remember the fact that uh, the guy did a great job for us. We don't beat Texas A&M without him. They just simply couldn't guard him. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so that's probably the Makai Polk memory, right, is uh, the great job he did against Texas A&M. So, again, we wish those guys the best. And uh, be ready because the other one's going to happen. And, of course, you know, there'll, be, there'll be somebody that will run to the Facebook groups and, oh, my gosh, look what's happening. You know, this is the life and times in which we live. That's the reality of life. The immediate eligibility aspect of the transfer portal is going to have more kids going to the portal. And you know, I just read you the numbers. Nearly 1,000 more kids already in the portal compared to last year. To expect us to be immune from that is short-sighted. There's no doubt about it. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. CloseWithBlair.com. You know, I got a lot of friends. I do. Got even more acquaintances, much like you. But it's good to have friends that can do things. You know what I'm saying? It's like there. I, I got a lot of people that are just, you know, I enjoy being around. But there are some people, too, you know, when I, I got to get things done, I know who to call. When you need to get your mortgage refinanced, when you look, you're looking to get, uh, you know, a HELOC or perhaps a second mortgage or, you know, maybe looking to add an investment property to your portfolio, reach out to my friend and your friend, Blair Chandler. Blair, an outstanding person. Been in the industry a long time. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction among mortgage customers. How about that? So it's not some fly-by-night, some problem there that, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, just get you to pay some big fees and then you're done. This is a relationship you're entering in with a guy that, that knows how to get things done. If you mentioned to Blair that you heard about him on this show, he's going to give you a big discount. That's right. You're going to get the Ken Folks discount. You're going to get your appraisal paid for. That's about a five dollars to $600 value. How cool is that? Just by being a Boneyard listener, you're saving some money when you get ready to refinance or, or get a new mortgage. When you're moving to, to Mississippi or whatever, and that's the thing too, he's licensed in other states, reach out and find out from him if you or somebody that could uh, benefit from his services. Let me give you his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. I've had several requests for this one, and we uh, finally decided to, did it, to do it. And uh, it seemed like I sent it to Roy. Hey, Roy, do we have Elton John on the list? Yeah, he's on the list. He's on the list. And then people would say, hey, Steve, you've never done this one. And you're right, I haven't. But I've had so many people request it, I can't really give anybody credit for it. But we've had a ton of people request Elton John. This is a very difficult list to do because the quality of the catalog is so expansive. I went and watched uh, the movie. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe it was Rocket Man. I think it was. But anyway, I went and watched the movie, and uh, I didn't like the uh, – the musical aspect of it. It was just kind of weird at times, you know. But I did think the movie was very entertaining. And I learned a lot about Elton John. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Elton John. This guy's had a ton of number one songs, and he and uh, Bernie Toppin wrote, just about wrote them all. He is, uh, it's a little melancholy at times, I guess. 
but a guy can sit behind a, behind a piano and uh, sing songs that uh, you are very familiar with, and that's why he continues to sell out arenas all around the world. Incredible, incredible. And listen, I was a, a radio music disc jockey. I was a program director at a radio station, and we did a lot of adult contemporary. And so Elton John was very uh, big part of our playlist, say the least. And so I'm very familiar with these songs. And so it was difficult to get it down to 10. I did, but we've got to throw out several honorable mentions. And here's the thing, too. I know so many people are so passionate about Elton John's music. Chances are I didn't include your favorite song. And you're going to message me and say, you know what, Steve, you blew it. And that's okay. That's okay. So here we go. Sir Elton John, top 10. First honorable mentions. Someone Saved My Life Tonight. That's probably number 11 on the list. Circle of Life, you guys know that one. The Lion King. Can You Feel the Love Tonight? You know, that, Elton John kind of got reintroduced into many people's lives through those Disney movies. Uh, Sad Songs Say So Much, it's a great one. Philadelphia Freedom. That's one of the first ones I remember hearing on the radio as a kid. Crocodile Rock. Leave On. And now here's your top ten. Number ten... I guess why they call it. I guess that's why they call it the blues. Laughing like children, living like lovers. You know, um, that one was a radio-friendly song too. That was played all the time. And, I, and like when I when I run through this list, I remember, you know, being a kid. And uh, as soon as I'd wake up, I would hear WFFF on the radio. You know, my mom always had the radio on, unless she's watching TV. But there was always something. There was always that little white noise in the background. And so, you know, everybody would get up in those days and listen to the radio, and you'd hear the weather report, and you'd hear the traffic reports. Not that there was a lot of traffic in Columbia, Mississippi. You'd hear all the announcements that had the birthday bunch and all that kind of stuff. But they played a lot of these songs, and I remember being a kid hearing this song regularly on the radio. Number nine, this one goes back a few years. I love the piano on this one. And that's the thing. If you don't like piano, Elton John's probably not the guy for you. But it's Benny and the Jets. Absolutely love it, man. It's like, and I could spend change a little bit, you know, when Benny Testaverde was the, the quarterback, you know, with the Jets. And uh, Chris Berman used to say Benny and the Jets, kind of paying homage to the Elton John song. But Benny and the Jets is one of those, like from the opening bars, you kind of know what you're listening to. Number eight, a bit of an up-tempo song for, um, for Elton John. A lot of his stuff is very much adult contemporary, elevator music, if you will. But I'm still standing, and this was a huge video for him too. You know, Elton John obviously is a very flamboyant personality, and I think that really was illustrated in the I'm Still Standing video. But I'm Still Standing, uh, a great song, really just kind of about I've been through some adversity in life, but uh, I'm still here. Not going away. Number seven, back to the melancholy. It's uh, Tiny Dancer. I love those opening lines of that one, too. Uh, Number six, Your Song. This is a great, great, great song. It's one of those that really kind of elicits emotion from, from the listener. You know, I don't have a lot of money, but this is what I can offer. You know, there's so many of us especially young in life when we've uh, you know, found our significant others, really all we had to offer was our love and ourselves. And that's what that song kind of makes me think of. Number five, a song that still gets played 
on college football Saturdays. Saturday night's all right for fighting. I don't know that that's even PC these days. If you can even, can you even say that anymore? You know, we're going to say it here. Saturday night's all right for fighting. And uh, probably the one of the more rocking songs in the Elton John catalog. Great song. Number four, it's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And, of course, that uh, it, it, kind of an homage to The Wizard of Oz, but um, a great song. And, again, very much on the melancholy side. Number three, Candle in the Wind. And this came out, I guess I was in high school. And when it came out, it was, you know, it's about Marilyn Monroe. And it was just one of those songs, too, that so many people kind of latched on to, even though that it, they had their own personal meanings for the song. You know, and it, it became kind of the funeral song. There were a lot of people that played this at their loved one's funeral, you know, even though that it was about Marilyn Monroe. And then, of course, it was re-recorded after the death of Princess Diana. It's a timeless classic. It really is. And a lot of people would probably have that number one. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I don't. It's number three for me. But Candle in the Wind, I mean, just, you know, you know the visual imagery of that. It's just, um, you know, it's very poignant. Number two, it's Rocket Man. And again, a lot of people would have that number one. And I'm okay with that too. You know, how, how can you go wrong? you know, with the, with the Elton John catalog. I mean, it's just, there's no way around it. But Rocket Man, there is just so much in that song to unpack that it's just so emotionally relevant. Yeah, and as a, as a guy that travels a lot, you know, I listen to that stuff a lot. Never been in space, obviously. Um, but Rocket Man is a great, great, great song. And it's about coming home. It's about living, living life and enjoying the, you know, kind of the mediocre and mundane things in life that we take for granted and we realize they're really more elite and extravagant. But number one for me, and uh, this is one of those songs that just speaks to my soul. Maybe you're the same way. And I actually enjoyed uh, George Michael's version. I guess they performed it at Live Aid. Or maybe not. One, any of that. They performed it at some big thing and Elton John came out, Sir Elton John came out and sang uh, the last chorus with him. But that's a great one to me. That's the one for me. Don't let the sun go down on me. It's just, um, it's a very, 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 very well-written song, and the execution is just flawless. So there you go. There's your top ten Elton John songs. We uh, got a couple other things planned later in the week. We're excited about that. We'll uh, look forward to bringing those to you. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Or you can hit up Roy. Follow Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. You can also follow him on Spotify and have all these great lists available at your disposal. I've had a lot of you reach out and say, you know what, Steve, a lot of times when I'm traveling, I get a little tired listening to the radio. I enjoy the top ten list. And thanks to Roy and to Izzy for making those uh, available. Izzy uh, tells me he's got an app that makes it uh, you know, pretty easy to do. And so I appreciate those guys. They get nothing for this. They just do this as a courtesy for all of you. And so I'm very appreciative of uh, both of them for their contributions to our show and to our little Boneyard family. So there you go. Top 10 list. Happy to do it. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Uh, Great people providing a great service at a great price. A lot of people out there selling Mississippi State merchandise. Nobody doing it better than Campus Bookmart. 
Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. It's time to start thinking about outfitting your family in baseball merch. It is going to be cold the first few weeks of the season. You're going to be glad you got that M over S hoodie. Be sure to check them out today, campusbookmart.net. If you're in town, go by and check them out. See Standing Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody down there will treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. Again, a lot of people peddling Mississippi State merch, and if you're not careful, you'll end up with a crimson-colored Mississippi State shirt. Deal with people that are true maroon, that know maroon, that'll do a great job for you. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Be sure and use that. You'll be glad that you did. I, I wrote an article yesterday. I've been thinking about this for a few days. Posted it. It is a free article over on jeanspage.com. And it's what, you know, what do we do to get guys to remain engaged during the bowl season? There are a lot of things that we can do. And I think at this point we first have to admit that there is a bit of a problem with bowl season. A lot of opt-outs. You know, I, I don't know how we combat that fully. But I think one of the things that we can do is give the players some additional benefit in playing in the bowl game. Now, one of the things I think is interesting is you don't see opt-outs for teams that are playing for an AFL championship. You just don't see it. And so with that in mind, you begin to ask yourself, so how do we properly incentivize players for staying in? There's no uh, risk of injury greater for the guys that play in the lower-tier bowl games. You can say, well, you're not playing for anything. Guys, let's be abundantly clear here. Most people aren't playing for anything. Right? So with that in mind, you begin to ask yourself, okay, well, what do we do to make these games more meaningful to players? Well, I think, number one, you can pay the players. And the first thing that people say, well, Steve, they're a bunch of spoiled brats. Well, here's the deal about that. They didn't enact name, image, and likeness legislation. The grown-ups did. The leaders. The governmental uh, officials. They're the ones that enacted name, image, and likeness legislation. Now, whether you agree with it or not, it's here. And so now that we have it, we've got to figure out how to make it work for us. I don't know if you have seen, if you have seen how uh, significant a lot of this situation is for these guys. But the reality of it is, is that we have a lot of people out there that are getting paid some monies for their name, image, and likeness. Now, for years and years and years, the NCAA could sell a player's jersey and then the player not profit from it. That was unfair. It's pretty much un-American. It's kind of anti-capitalism. That's important to understand, too. If you're going to sell, you know, my jersey, I should, you know, share in the spoils a little bit. I'm the one that made that jersey number special. I'm the one that put that jersey number in demand. How many Dak Prescott jerseys did we sell? How much money did Dak Prescott make on those jerseys? And so now that it's here, you begin to say, okay, not everybody's going to be able to sell a jersey, but we want the guys to remain engaged. 
We don't want guys to sit around with no class, sit around with no activities outside of football thinking, okay, do I really want to play in this game? Because you can get hurt in the Liberty Bowl just like you can get hurt in an NFL championship game. These guys are in great shape. Now, what's interesting, too, is a lot of people say, hey, well, it could hurt their draft stock. And it's true, you know, but what are the chances of that happening? You know, Jeffrey Simmons played in the 2018 Outback Bowl. We lost the game. Jeff tore his ACL in pre-draft workouts. So are we going to outlaw pre-draft workouts? Are we going to opt out of that too? Well, no, of course not. We're not going to do that. But there is no record that I have been able to find of a player being injured in a bowl game and then not being drafted. I haven't found any of that. There may be some. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that my research is absolute. You know, the first thing that people bring up is they say, well, you know, there was, there, was, uh, there was this guy and there was that guy that got hurt in the bowl game. And, you know, the, the drop that Jeff Simmons had was rather significant. And let's be honest about this, too. Where guys are projected doesn't mean that they're going to get taken there. I mean, you've seen a lot of players in the past that, um, you know, have been injured and then still gone on to great careers. I think that's an important aspect of it, too. It's like, well, you know, Steve, you never make that money up. Well, here's the deal with that. Jeff Simmons is arguably one of the top five defensive tackle prospects in the National Football League. He's going to break the bank. He's going to get a significant, a significant extension from Tennessee or perhaps be one of the most coveted free agents on the market. Those are things that I think are important to understand. Take the context here. There are a lot of people, too, that say, well, you know, Steve, there was the, uh, the Jalen Smith guy at Notre Dame. You know, he had uh, an injury in the bowl game. It was devastating that really hurt, um, you know, his draft stock. And that's Jalen Smith. You know, and so w- here's what's interesting about that. Everybody will point to that and say, yeah, Jalen Smith had a major knee injury in the Fiesta Bowl, lost to Ohio State. And that's true. It's absolutely true. But let's hear what he had to say. Here's, a, here's the quote after the fact from Jalen Smith. Those freak types of accidents, injuries, they happen. But you don't go in the game thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get hurt. That was my decision, and I love it. And I wouldn't change it. If I knew that I was going to get hurt again, I wasn't going to be a top five pick again, I would have literally played in that game again because of my teammates and how much Notre Dame means to me. So the, the one guy that we're using as an example – Oh, well, you shouldn't play in the ball game because you may end up like Jalen Smith. And he's sitting here saying, no, I'm, I'm going to play. Even knowing what I know now, I wouldn't change the decision. I would still go back and play. And so that, that's the rest of the story. That's the Paul Harvey, Paul Harvey edition to that story. It's the rest of the story. It's the one guy that we point out as an example and say, you know what? Hey, here's a cautionary tale for playing in bowl games, and then the one guy that everybody's holding up to to fit their narrative is like, oh, no, oh, absolutely not. I love Notre Dame. I would have loved to have gone through with my teammates and play it again. Now, everybody's situation is a little bit different. But the reality of it is is there, there really hasn't been a great example of a guy that uh, has been injured in a bowl game and looks back in hindsight and says, you know what, I made a mistake. You know, football is a very physical game. You could get injured in practice. You could get injured in bowl practice. You could get injured walking to practice. You could get injured driving to practice. You could get injured at Walmart. You could get injured walking up your steps. There are no guarantees in life. 
And so the thing that I go back to is, okay, what if we kept these guys engaged a little bit? What if we offered them a little money? We said, well, you know, Steve, that may not stop them from opting out. Well, you don't know their situation. Again, everybody's situation is different. Let's say they get ten grand for every participant in the ball game. Well, Steve, where's that money coming from? Do you realize how much money the ball games make? They're supposed to be a nonprofit, but some of these bowl games make tens of millions of dollars. You got executives out here running bowl games as a part-time job, making over a million dollars. You mean to tell me they couldn't come up with ten grand for each player to play to protect the integrity of their bowl game and the level of competition? They absolutely could. Would you pay a couple more dollars more for tickets? I suspect you would. I suspect you would. And, again, think about those poor people from NC State. They fly all the way to San Diego, California. Nobody's reimbursing them. So how do we make sure the game happens? You know, there are a lot of guys out there that say, you know, and we saw it with LSU last year. Well, they're not going to play for anything, so all of a sudden we're going to opt for, you know, go ahead and get that season-ending surgery. We're not willing to play through the injury if we're not playing for something of significance. So how do we make it more significant? Well, let's expand the playoffs. And you can't have an NCAA quality, you know, football tournament. There's not enough weekends, right? But can we do a 12-game playoff? And that's the thing I think about, too, is like if you have bigger payoffs for players like you do for teams and conferences, wouldn't that improve the quality of the play during the season? You know, maybe I'm a little more likely to play if I realize, hey, if I play in a Florida ball game, maybe I get 15 grand. Or if I don't play, we may end up in a Tennessee ball game, I'm going to get 10 grand. I'm probably more likely to play. I'm probably more likely to remain engaged. I think it would bring a more competitive brand of football. And some people would say, well, Steve, come, in, come on. You know, we didn't have that generations ago. We didn't have the money available to us then either. And the reality of it is, is you know, we've got a problem. We've got to come up with some real-time solutions to fix the problem. And say, well, Steve, these guys are good in advance, sometimes $100,000. Maybe the elite guys are. But there are a lot of guys out there that perhaps, uh, you know, maybe they have a young child at home. Maybe they have a family situation. That, you know, hey, that, that $10,000 stipend to play in Liberty Bowl would go a long way to helping my family. What's interesting to me, too, is you don't see the seniors opting out. It's usually the juniors. And that, that's usually the byproduct of runners. These runners don't have any, any skin in the game. If their guy takes an advance and then doesn't make it, they just move on to the next guy. There's no plan for them. They don't just say, hey, we're going to remain engaged for you and we're going to help you get your college education paid for. We're going to make sure that you get your college degree. It's not going to happen. The thing that I go back to uh, also, too, about making the games more meaningful to them, you know, what would have happened to Mississippi State if Tanner Allen had opted out this year? And say, well, Steve, you know, I mean, come on. We're talking football. We are. But college baseball players commit more of their time than anybody else in the college athletics system to their their game. And you could argue maybe softball is the same way. How many times do you see a guy with wrist injuries, elbow injuries, shoulder injuries, knee injuries in baseball? It happens all the time. In fact, they have even less time to prepare for the draft. So why don't college baseball players opt out? Well, it's because they still have a chance to win an AFL championship. And so let's give more of those teams an opportunity to play for a championship, to actually play for something more than just team pride. You know, when I was younger, it was a big deal to us. 
It was us versus y'all. And there was that competitive juice and that fire that kind of fueled all that. It's like, hey, we're, you know, hey, we're if we're gonna, they're going to put the ball down, we're going to go play, and we're going to beat you guys. You don't see a lot of opt-outs in college basketball, but why is that? Well, you got a bigger tournament that allows more players the opportunity to play for a championship, to be able to hang a banner, to be able to be part of something special. It means something to them. But why is this all just germane to football? Well, the contracts are bigger. There's more guys that are getting drafted in many respects for bigger money. There are a lot of guys that get drafted in baseball, but the signing bonuses are much smaller. College baseball is still relatively a niche sport. And so we've got to do something different. I don't have the corner of the market and all the good ideas by any stretch of the imagination. But we've got to find a way to curtail some of these opt-outs to protect the integrity of the game. It's only going to get worse. It's like a transfer portal. You're going to have more guys transfer. You're going to have more guys opt out of bowl games. And a lot of it is, you know, hey, if you go, we, we got $50,000 for you right now if you'll sign with us. Well, in order to do that, you've got to forego your college eligibility. And so what if we reduce that risk a little bit? What if we mitigate some of that risk by saying, hey, here is some legal tender available to you by participating in this bowl game? It's time to start thinking outside the box. You know, I saw some of the complaints from some of our fans, and a lot of it's just frustration, right? You spend your vacation time and you spend your hard-earned cash and you make that trip to the Liberty Bowl only to find out that several players aren't playing. And not all those guys are opt-outs, so don't get me wrong. But the reality of it is, is that for some, some teams and some fans, they find out, you know, just kind of days before the game, after they bought the plane tickets and booked the hotel rooms and have tickets in hand, that they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage because some of their better players are opting out of a ball game. So why not change the script? Why not do something a little bit different? I think it's important to kind of understand we're in a unique time right now. We've got to find a way to make this work. We have to protect the integrity of the game. Say, so, well, Steve, you know, when we played in the, uh, in the 1974 Sun Bowl, Nobody gave us anything, and you're right. They didn't. They probably should have. Maybe they should have. I don't know if you fully appreciate you know, the money that's available. And that's the thing, too, about expanding the playoff. You know, is that if you have the – you don't think there'll be more interest in the games? You don't think the TV package will be bigger in these games? Absolutely would be. It cost Mississippi State a lot of money to go play in the game in Liberty Bowl, and we lost. But let's look at some of these numbers here. I mean, let's just kind of put these in perspective. I'm going to go through bowl payouts for you real quickly here. So the Bahamas Bowl, the payouts, 225 a team. Not a lot of money, right? You get a trip to the Bahamas, though, so that's pretty cool. But, you know, again, it's not a moneymaker for the university that goes there. The Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida, Payouts five hundred and seventy-three thousand one hundred twenty-five dollars. The Boca Raton Bowl nine hundred thousand. Now we're starting to get into a little more money here. The New Mexico Bowl out in Albuquerque, just over a million, a million fifty thousand. The Independence Bowl two point two million. The Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. That's the former Camellia Bowl one point five million. The New Orleans Bowl eight hundred twenty-five thousand. The, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, 800000 The Frisco Bowl, 650000 The Armed Forces Bowl, $1.35 million. Gasparilla Bowl, $1.125 million. The Hawaii Bowl, $1.2 million. 
uh, the, um, the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, I apologize. $300,000 there. The Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, Michigan, $2.2 million. Military Bowl, just, over, just under $2.1 million. Birmingham Bowl, $1.375. The Serve Pro First Responder Bowl between Air Force and Louisville. Air Force won that ball game, $824,000. Liberty Bowl, $4.7 million. Holiday Bowl, six point five and change. Guaranteed Ray Bull, 1.6. Pinstripe, 4.4. Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando, yeah, man, over $6 million. The Alamo Bowl payout, $8.2 million. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, nearly $4.8 million. Music City Bowl, 5.7. The Peach Bowl, of course, is part of the, uh, the playoff revenue pool. Las Vegas Bowl, 2.9. Gator Bowl, 5.3 and change. Sun Bowl, 4.5 million. The Arizona Bowl, that's the uh, Barstool, Boards, Barstool Sports Bowl, 350000 Outback Bowl, $6.4 million. Citrus Bowl, $8.2 million and change. $6.4 million for the Texas Bowl. And then, of course, there's all the, uh, you know, the playoff money, too. And so there is plenty of money out there. It's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. And so that's the thing you begin to think about. Okay, so with the bowl payouts on the rise – and the salaries for these bowl executives on the rise, you don't think there's some money available for these players? There absolutely, there absolutely are, and there absolutely should be. Now, you can limit it, of course, to the guys that are on the playing roster. I think that's an important part of it, too. You know, maybe, maybe everybody gets a, a, a better swag bag, but the guys that actually play in the game, the guys that are expected to participate, the guys that are going to provide the entertainment, you give those guys some cash, man. I think that's the way to make it work. And you can say, with well, Steve, I just don't understand, you know, why we have to do that. Guys, the world is changing. There's no way around it. College athletics is changing. So let's say that you're going to give all 85 scholarship players 10 grand. Do you know what that comes to? It's eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It's eight fifty. Now maybe you don't give 10 grand to everybody. I mean, if you could play in the Boca Raton Bowl, maybe, maybe you get a couple grand. Maybe you do. But the reality of it is, is that there is a lot of this money available to ensure that some of these guys have some incentive to play in the game. And again, for the elite, you know, for the guys that are projected as first-rounders, the Charles Crosses of the world, maybe there's not enough money. But again, I go back to the fact that um, these guys have played a dozen or more football games this year, many without any serious injury. And then all of a sudden, you know, what changes with the bowl game? Why is football postseason different than other sports? It's because of the, the prospects of winning an NFL championship. I mean, when those folks from Campbell came down here, I had a chance to talk to many of their players that didn't make a travel roster. And it's like, you know, did you guys expect to win the game when you came down here? And they're like, no, no. We didn't expect to win the regional. But we want, it was the reward to be in the regional – to be the first at-large at bid team in school history in any sport was a pretty cool thing because, remember, they lost in their conference tournament. But it was like, man, it's just the joy of being able to come play college baseball and be in the NCAA tournament. We were just hoping to come up here and win a game or two. Of course, they would have loved to have won the regional. They didn't expect to win the regional. And so that's where I go to this whole meaningless thing. Was the experience at Duty Noble Field meaningless to Campbell? Of course not. So why is it different for football? Why do we say, well, it's a meaningless game to go play in the Liberty Bowl? You're not playing for anything. You're always playing for something. 
And that's a non-competitive loser mentality. Well, if I can't play for a championship, I don't want to play. Then don't play. It's up to you. You don't think those young men from Campbell University will ever forget the way that our fans embraced them and kind of made them our second favorite team? Do you remember them walking along the outfield fence and clapping every hand? Was that experience meaningless? I remember some NCAA women's tournament games that happened here at the Humphrey Coliseum. And I remember some incredible crowds. And I remember Susie Merchant getting up saying, you know what? 7,000 feels like 70,000. It kind of became a catchphrase for us. Was that game meaningless? You know, we didn't win a national championship in women's basketball, but we beat UConn. We beat the greatest program among one of the greatest teams in the history of sport, not just women's basketball, but one of the greatest programs in sports. We didn't win an AFL championship. Was, it, was that game meaningless? We lost to South Carolina three times that year. They were better than us. They had Asia Wilson, the best player in the country, and they beat us. But we played for an AFL championship. The next year we played again, and we lost to Notre Dame. It was heartbreaking. We should have won the game. And it will haunt us forever. And it probably hurt even more because we had never won an Apple championship. We didn't have all these banners to wipe our tears with. Was that game meaningless? I go back even two years prior when we got drilled by, what, 66 points by UConn. Was that game meaningless? We made the Sweet 16 that year. and We got drilled. And that fueled us. It motivated us for the next year. One of the greatest stories in our history. We get beat by 66 one year. A year later, we beat them in the Final Four. One of the greatest moments in the history of women's college basketball. We were a national favorite. Everybody loved Mississippi State. Everybody loved Morgan William. Everybody. So was it meaningless? No, it wasn't meaningless. That's just the kind of things that we say to justify our narrative. Well, they're not really playing for anything. No, you're always playing for something. It may just be for pride, but you're playing for something. And you know what? Maybe the young people today don't have the same sense of pride in the uniform that we did. And before I scream and tell everybody to get off my lawn, let's just figure out a way to fix the problem. So all this talk about it being a meaningless game, that's a loser's mentality. And if that's what you adopt, I'll just I'll be the one to say it. You have a loser's mentality. You know, and, and I've read with great interest. I, I love the Facebook groups for the entertainment value. I like to go over there and answer some questions because a lot of times I've noticed if I don't say anything, if, if one of you guys doesn't correct people, then all of a sudden we adopt this false narrative because there are a lot of people that post that are, you know, that uh, are maybe well-intended. They're just not very well-connected. And so they'll share things over there. But I love the folks who are like, well, I'm not, gonna, I'm not willing to accept mediocrity. Well, here's the deal. You probably picked the wrong football team to pull for. I'm just going to say it how, how, as it is. We, we have, and, and there are many years that we, we would have loved to have been mediocre. There are a lot of years that we were downright pitiful. And then as of late, we've had, you know, 12 consecutive ball games. I, you know, that's a day that, you know, my, the previous generation never dreamed of. Oh, Steve, there's so many ball games. You know, it is what it is. It is what it is. There were so many times that we were, you know, bowl eligible and a good bowl team, and then we didn't get picked because we didn't have the financial wherewithal that some other other schools did. So we got passed over. And we go, well, Mississippi State doesn't travel. 
And it was true. We weren't driving tractors to the games. You know, a lot of our fans listened to the games on the radio. We didn't travel real well, so we weren't a great bowl team. But let me just let me, let's just go back a few years here. Talk about you know, <laughs> I don't support mediocrity, you know. And so let's go back to uh, let let's start I guess with uh, I'm going to run down some numbers for you right here. So we we win our. Uh, First bowl game of the modern era in 1963 against NC State in the Liberty Bowl in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That was just our third bowl appearance in our history. We began playing football in 1895. First bowl appearance is 1936. Major Raf Sassy took us through the Orange Bowl. We lost to the Canes, and of course, Raf Sassy, a guy was was an alcoholic, ultimately left us. Had a lot of problems. Didn't even finish his final year. Alan McKean, as great as he was, arguably the greatest coach in Mississippi State history, went to one bowl game. Won the 1941 Orange Bowl against Georgetown. We finished ninth in the country. Our first top ten finish in the AP poll. The next two years, we finished in the top 20. Didn't go to a bowl game. 1941, we won the SEC and didn't go to a bowl game. People didn't think much of Mississippi State. 42, we finished fourth in the SEC and finished 18th. We did not have another top 20 finish until 1957 under Coach Wade Walker. We go 6-2 and won that year, and guess what? Didn't go to a bowl game. You think, the, you think it was meaningless to those guys? You mean the SEC champion didn't go to a bowl game? So don't sit here and tell me it's meaningless. So we went in 1963. We finished 11th in the country. What's funny about that one, too, is uh, we were 11th in the coaches' poll and unranked in the AP poll. We, get, we didn't have another top 20 finish until 1974 when Coach Bob Tyler and Rocky Felker, they took us to the Sun Bowl. We beat North Carolina out there 26-24. We finished 17th in the polls. So for 10 years, we didn't go to a bowl game. Did you forget what it was like in the 2000s? Do you remember how much that Liberty Bowl appearance meant to us? So don't sit here and tell me it's meaningless. Our next bowl appearance was under Emory Ballard in 1980. We lost to Nebraska. That's the year we beat Alabama. Finished 19th in the country in the AP poll. Unranked in the coaches poll. A year later, we go 8-4. and four, Win the Hall of Fame game there in uh, Birmingham against Kansas. Finished 17th in the coaches poll. Unranked in the AP despite the fact that we were third in the SEC and 8-4 and four, and won the bowl game. We didn't go to a bowl game at all on the ride with Rocky Felker. We come back, and of course, with Jackie Sherrill. And we lost in 91, 92, and 94. And that was the big criticism of Sherrill, right? It's like, well, we're doing better, but we can't win a bowl game. Was it insignificant then? Was it a meaningless game then when everybody wanted to fire Sherrill because he couldn't win bowl games? Because it seemed to be awfully important on the message boards back then. That's all I'd ever heard. Well, yeah, but he can't win. Can't win in a postseason. Can't win in a postseason. We call that guy the king. And you know what? He lost his fourth bowl appearance, too. The Cotton Bowl against Ricky Williams. We got shelled in that game 38-11. to That's the year we won the West. And we should have beat Tennessee in the SEC championship game. We win the West, finish the year unranked. Lost the bowl game. So Cheryl begins 0 for 4 in bowl games. Finally, in 99, we win. We go 10-2 and 2 that year, and we win 
uh, the Peach Bowl against Clemson, we finished ranked 13th and 12th respectively in the polls, which was still probably a little bit low. Wasn't our fault that we didn't get a chance to play Florida and Georgia. We, we beat the teams on our schedule. 2000, we win the Independence Bowl to Snowball. We loved it, right? Finished ranked in the top 25. Was that a meaningless game? We weren't capable of winning the NAFL championship, but one of the most memorable games in our history, and we won it in the snow. Was that game meaningless? You flash ahead, we get caught up in the throes of probation, NCAA sanctions, uh, a very, very biased pursuit of Jackie Sherrill and Mississippi State football. We kind of wandered through the wilderness for a while. From 2001, we go 3 and 8, then 3 and 9, 2 and 10, 3 and 8, 3 and 8, 3 and 9. Sylvester Crone breaks through in 07. We go 7 and 5 in the regular season, win the Egg Bowl, and then we go beat the Conference USA champion Central Florida in the Liberty Bowl. Was that game meaningless? It wasn't to me. We hadn't been to a bowl game since 2000. I was just happy to be in the postseason. We wanted to win so bad because we wanted to have the taste of victory again. We hadn't had a winning season since 2000. We had wandered in the wilderness for six years, never winning more than three games. And the game meant so much to us that we set the Liberty Bowl attendance record that still stands today. But you're going to tell me it's meaningless. We go back to the uh, bowl game in 2010. You remember we didn't go in the last year of Chrome and the first year of Dan, and we went down there and we beat Michigan 52-14. to We had never been in a Gator Bowl before, and we went down there and destroyed Michigan. Wasn't a great Michigan team by any stretch, but it was a helmet sticker win for us. We had never played better. And we went 52-14 to with Chris Ralph wearing number 36 in honor of Nick Bell. Was that game meaningless to you? It meant a lot to me. The next year, you know, we're at the end of a town soccer, but we scratch and claw, and we're 6-6. Six and six. We win the ball game against Wake Forest, which gives us a winning season, back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since the late 90s. That ball game was a difference in us having a winning season or a losing season, but you're going to tell me it's meaningless. I disagree. We go back to the Gator Bowl. I went to the Orange Bowl in 14. We hadn't been since the 40s. And that was the year we were ranked number one in the country. We made a New Year's Six bowl game. We lost and finished ranked 11th and 12th. And so the fact that we make a New Year's Six game, was, was that meaningless too? We weren't playing for an AFL championship. But we went down and played a New Year's Six game. We got beat. George Jeff Collins left us. I don't know if we beat Georgia Tech with him or not. But we certainly didn't do it with Deshae Townsend calling the, the plays. 2015, we, the, the Belk Bowl, we all went to Charlotte. We sat in the rain to say goodbye to Dak Prescott, the most iconic player in our program's history. We sat in the rain. We watched those guys destroy NC State 51-28. We had a chance to watch Dak Prescott walk off the field, hug Nick Fitzgerald. It was a bit of a change into the guard. I will never regret being there, and many of you were there as well. We knew that was our final time to see Dak Prescott in a Mississippi State uniform but I guess it was meaningless. 2016, we, we didn't even deserve to be in a ball game. Somehow we found our way in a ball game, and it had been a very difficult season for us. You know, we were kind of content thinking, you know what, we embarrassed Ole Miss on their home field to win the egg. That may be all we got. We end up getting in on an APR exemption. We went to St. Petersburg Bowl, and it gave us a lot of juice kind of going into next year. We won the game. 
wasn't a, a, a great game by any stretch. I guess in some respects you could say it went down to the final play. We get a blocked field goal. The, probably the biggest play that Nelson Adams ever made, but apparently it didn't mean anything. 2017, Dan Mullen leaves us. We're all bitter. We're angry. Nick Fitzgerald's had his ankle purposely broken. I don't care what anybody else says. We were adrift. We thought, you know what, it's over for us. But you had a group of GAs, and you had some cast-off coaches that Dan Mullen just elected not to take to Florida with him. Guys like D.J. Looney that loved Mississippi State, didn't know where he was going to get his next paycheck from, but said, you know what, we're going to focus on these kids and winning a ball game. We end up getting Louisville and Heisman winner Lamar Jackson, and we win the game. It meant something to me. It meant something to Mark McLaurin. It meant something to Kobe Jones. It meant something to Jeff Simmons. It meant something. 2018, we go to the Outback for the first time in school history. And the game meant so little that Jonathan Abram, Jeff Simmons, and Montez Sweat, who were all future first-rounders, went out there and played in the game because they loved each other and they loved Mississippi State. So it may not have meant anything to you, but it meant something to them. 2019, you may regret, may have, excuse me, you may have forgotten you know, we had a difficult year that year. We needed to win the Egg Bowl just to get bowl eligible. So if you cheered when that extra point, that elongated extra point, faded right, don't tell me that it was meaningless. Because if you cheered, knowing we had won the Egg and knowing that we were going to be able to go to postseason, it clearly meant something to you. Clearly meant something to you. You know, last year was a difficult year. We basically went to a bowl game by default. We had hammered Missouri in a season finale. We had a chance to go uh, play against a pretty good Tulsa team. We win the game. And so we end the year on a two-game winning streak, but apparently apparently it doesn't mean anything. And so I've belabored the point long enough here now. I think it's important to kind of understand this. It means something. It may not mean we're playing for a national championship, but it means something. And I go back and I think about how many years in baseball have we thought, you know what, if we could just get to Omaha, if we could just get to Omaha, or if we could just host this year, if we could just host. And so so the, basically everything else is meaningless. It's not to me. You know, I'll tell you guys this, and, and I know that many of you agree with me, and we, we've got to beat this negativity aspect of our fan base down. We, we, we have got to do it. you got to stand taller. You do. Because every time that Mississippi State takes a field or court and somebody's got that Mississippi State insignia on their uniform, they're representing me. And that means something to me. The fact that they thought enough of us to come spend their college years with us and they're going to go represent our family, that's meaningful to me. It doesn't matter if we win, lose, tie, whatever. I respect the effort, and I respect the preparation and the desire to go out there and seek victory on behalf of Mississippi State, on behalf of us. I respect it. And so I understand that everybody has a decision to make themselves, but I'm not going to excuse it. You know, acceptance is not approval. I accept the fact that people are going to make decisions that I don't agree with. That's life. That doesn't mean that I have to approve of it. 
I can accept it and move on. But I don't have to feel good about it. And you know what? I'm not going to sit here and judge anybody for the decisions that they make. Everybody has to do what is best for them. But I remember, it's so funny too, it's funny how things happen. You know, it's like we always hear, oh, we, we got to do what's best for the team. We got to do what's best for the team. We got to do what's best for the team. Until it's time to do what's best for me. Like, well, nobody's looking out for these guys. Well, yeah, it's the reason they have insurance. And, and I'll be honest with you, too. If you're going to go in the ball game and thinking you may get hurt, I don't want you playing anyway. I don't. I don't. But I just, I'm thankful that Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan didn't opt out. You know, Will Bednar is a guy that, uh, you know, was – projected to be a potential first-rounder. He elected to play, made himself a bona fide first-rounder for sure. He was no longer a projected first-rounder. He was a first-rounder. So he benefited. And so for some of those guys, too, they're maybe on the fence a little bit. Maybe they're, you know, kind of teetering between rounds. Maybe there's some questions about them. You know, maybe it gives you an opportunity, one final chance to put some things on film. And I've read some of our former players that have said, hey, you know, listen, I didn't even think about opting out. And that's why, too, I get back to this Matt Corral thing. You know, it's easy to dislike the other side. It's, it's easy. It's convenient. It's what we know. But I commend Matt Corral for playing in a game. Now, did he make a business decision after he got banged up? Maybe he did. Maybe he couldn't go. I don't know. But I respect the fact that the guy went out there and tried to lead his team. He said, you know what, hey, I, I'm, I'm leaving here as one of the greatest quarterbacks at Ole Miss history, but I got a chance to go out here and win a Sugar Bowl. You know, Archie won a Sugar Bowl. Chad Kelly won a Sugar Bowl. I'd like to be able to say, hey, I'm a Sugar Bowl winning quarterback. And you know what? There's no value in that monetarily. I think it says a lot about the young man. It really does. Now, people forget he got in a lot of trouble in high school. He did. Kids growing up a lot. And so I'm a little bit envious, to be honest with you. You know, I'm a little bit envious. You know, we had a guy like him. You know, it's like, hey. I'm going to go do what's best for Mississippi State. You miss, I'm very grateful to Mississippi State. I feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to Mississippi State. Mississippi State gave me an opportunity to showcase my, my skills. Then I have basically built an NFL uh, career based on the opportunities provided to me at Mississippi State. And think about these great fans that are ringing cowbells in my honor. You know what? I, I want it one more time. And maybe that's just me. Maybe you disagree. But I go back to the thing, too, if, if, we, if well, we're not going to play in this game because it's meaningless. Well, how many of those teams out there that are projected to be 500 teams, do those guys just opt out of the season? Let's just not play. You know, we played Tennessee State. That was a game, obviously, that we were going to win pretty handily. Why didn't we opt out of that game? Oh, now we can do it with no consequence. Again, it's a complicated issue. But don't sit here and tell me these bowl games are meaningless. They're not meaningless. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't even see that as a matter of opinion. I understand on its face it is. But when you look back at our history and look at how rare it was for us to get an opportunity to be rewarded with a bowl game, for you to call these games meaningless is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to all those Bulldog fans that would have given anything to see their team play in the postseason. And now we get to go so often, it has become commonplace. And we forget what it's like. I have not forgotten those early 2000s years. I hadn't forgotten those. And how embarrassing it was and how football season was endured rather than enjoyed. 
And so now we're just going to, you know, when did we get so high and mighty? It's meaningless? No. No. You need to check yourself. Take a long look in the mirror. Final segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan's the guy that didn't opt out either. Brooks Bryan played in two College World Series. And, Brooks, thanks for that. We appreciate your contributions to Mississippi State baseball. And really glad you got that hat, too, and that nice letter. Probably means an awful lot to him. Probably, if I know Brooks, and I do, uh, I suspect Brooks probably, as soon as he got the letter, was texting uh, his lovely wife and said, hey, pick up a really nice frame. We got this cool letter. And it's probably, like, prominently positioned in the living room. So anybody that comes in will see it because it means something of value to him. Right? It wasn't meaningless. Brooks part of a uh, great group of people that are bringing this wonderful residential community to Mississippi State, to Starkville. And that's why you moved to Starkville, right? I love the people here, but, you know, I mean, I like being close to Mississippi State. It's nice to be close to work. Uh, the Portico is a great place, man, an absolute great place to live. It's very close to campus, as we've discussed before. You turn off of 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That takes you to Portico. 1.1 miles from campus. Now, if you're looking to move today, we can't help you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, construction's getting rolling there, too. You need the weather to cooperate a little bit, getting some foundations poured, kind of getting the roads finished up out there. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great place to live and maybe a great place to retire to. Maybe a great place to raise a family. Going to have that great walking trail out there so you can you, know, you can get out and have that great dinner, you know, cook steaks on the grill and then get out and walk it off, right? You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And here's the deal, too. Uh, it's uh, If you are a growing family, you need to have the bigger house, but you can get a say in those housing plans. You can pick your lot. You can pick out the house plans, have some say in every bit of that, and you should. This is probably going to be your final home, and I don't mean that in a morbid way, but once you move to Starkville, you're going to want to stay. Get some information today from Brooks Bryan, again, who didn't opt out at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. And Brooks, thanks for playing in so, so many meaningful Mississippi State baseball games for us. On behalf of a grateful Mississippi State family, I say thank you. All right, let's look at some recruiting stuff. We haven't, we're going to be getting ramped up here. It's still the dead period until the 13th. Now, there is the exemption, and I got some clarification on that this morning. For mid-year transfers, you get the opportunity to host players seven days prior to the enrollment date for spring class. So for Mississippi State, that's the 11th. Now, the dead period lifts on the 13th, so I don't know if we bring anybody in then, but, of course, we could bring somebody in for a midweek visit if that's the case. But not going to be visitors this weekend, nobody officially this weekend. So we could theoretically bring somebody in the 11th. I don't know that we would because, you know, I don't know what you really gained from that. And we had this discussion uh, over on Gene's page earlier today. Uh, I think it's probably a little bit unfair because there, there is some variance in everything. I think let's just have some hard and fast dates for everybody. You know, then the argument comes is, well, then they get more opportunities to, uh, to allow guys to visit before they begin spring class. That's part of the deal. But the reality of it is, is uh, we are going to sign some other players and we are chasing some guys out there. So there have been some developments, I guess, uh, on the recruiting trail since you guys were away. 
we hadn't talked about these kickers in a while. But Vito Calvaruso, Caruso, we were chasing him. He is elected to uh, to go to Wisconsin. So that I can't say it's it's a surprise. It is a disappointment. You know, State was obviously recruiting him uh, as a kickoff specialist, and uh, obviously he would get the opportunity to compete for the place kicking job. But uh, he is elected to take his talents to Wisconsin, so he is no longer an option for Mississippi State. So what does that leave us? Well, shortly after all that happened, we offered Gabriel uh, Placencia. I spoke to him. Uh, he is from College of San Mateo, junior college kicker, rated as a five-star kicker by Chris Saylor, who is uh, one of the best kicking recruiting analysts out there. This is a guy that knows how to evaluate talent, and so he's awarded him a five-star. They say he has range up to 55 yards. He has next-level kickoffs. So that's interesting. At this point, his only other offer, scholarship offer, Sacramento State, and a lot of that's because he's a first-year junior college guy. A lot of people aren't looking for those guys. We are. We have some connections out there through uh, Coach Leach. He knows those guys. And uh, they understood that we were looking, reached out, and so we have now extended a scholarship. I expect that to happen. Not sure when. Maybe we get him in for a visit first uh, because he is a transfer guy, major transfer guy, of course. He can announce whenever he wants to, but um, he is a – JUCO transfer would have to sign a name image, excuse me, a national letter of intent. All of these acronyms get to me at some point, but he will have to sign a national letter of intent in February. So even if he announces and enrolls, uh, he couldn't officially be announced until the signing period. And so uh, that doesn't mean that he can't attend classes. He certainly could come in here and sign his SEC financial agreement, move his stuff here, uh, get locked in and good to go. So he could be your kickoff guy for next year. Could be. There'll be some competition. He tells me he has been promised nothing other than an opportunity. And so we'll see how things progress with him. I like the guy. He's a former soccer player. He's a big guy, too. He's like 6'1", 220. So, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look like the typical soccer guy. And I, and I say that as a former soccer guy myself. This is a big-footed guy, also a left-footed kicker. That's interesting, too. Not a lot of those guys out there. Left-footed kicker. wonder what that does to other teams. You know what I'm saying? It's like you get so used to seeing the right-footed kickers. And so, like, you, you set your, your field goal block. Everything is kind of aligned with that. Does it change for a left-foot guy? Don't know. Don't know. But I think it's a different look for sure. All I care about are three points. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if they have to drop kick it through. I guess that will be two points. My point being is that, that that doesn't bother me. I'm just looking for an effective guy. It's not like I'm asking him to catch his left-hander. Um and then, of course, there is, uh, there's another name out there that State has been connected with, and that is Massimo Biscardi from Coastal Carolina. Now, th- this is amazing. The numbers this guy's put up are ridiculous. So he was a Lou Groza Award watch list guy at Coastal. Guys kicked a ton of field goals. Uh, he does have an offer in hand for Mississippi State. He went 7 of 8 this year on field goals. And, of course, Coastal scored a lot of touchdowns this year. Um, but he had a long of 50 yards. Uh, let's see here. He had one miss, and that was against Texas State. His kickoffs this year, again, uh, 395 yards for him, 337 against Citadel. So he wasn't a full-time uh, kickoff guy, you know, but he did do that some. PATs, he was 46 of 48. But a guy with some big numbers. And you look at his career numbers here. He uh, he connected on 46 field goals in four years at Coastal. 46. 161 PATs. 
So we scored right at 300 points in his career at Coastal. Uh, so that makes pretty good sense to me to go get out, go get an experienced guy like that. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Derek D. Pasquale thing. You, you bring in a guy that uh, has been very successful at his previous stop. Look at his numbers too. What's interesting is that you know he's, he's only had a handful of misses in his career. I guess he's attempted 57 career field goals. He's made 46. Two of those were blocked. So theoretically, just nine misses in four years. Look at the numbers we had this year, and you think, oh, okay, I'll take that. Absolutely will. Yeah, only seven, only seven kickoff attempts this year. But prior to this year, uh, he he did 80 kickoff attempts in 2020. So that's you know we'll we'll kind of watch that, monitor that. Of his 80 kickoffs in 2020, 17 of those were touchbacks. But that's something we're watching. Uh, Massimo Biscardi. State's very very involved with him. Can't call it just yet, but I like where Mississippi State sits. I like where they sit. And that's one of the things you guys have asked a lot about is, hey, Steve, what about a kicker? We've probably never spent more time talking about kickers on Gene's page than at any point in our history than we have this year. Because you guys, you guys, you, you saw it yourself. We got to be better in the kicking game. As Reese Davis says, you got to be sound in the kicking game. We were not. So we're taking some steps to correct that. You add some more competition to the room. Competition makes everybody better especially when you bring in a guy like, like Massimo Biscardi, uh, who has a ton of field goals to his credit. And again, at this point, he hasn't made a formal announcement. I do like the, where State sits in a situation, but there is still uh, you know, the, the whole situation of him making his declaration public. And so we'll see how things progress there. But that would be a major development and be some really good news for the Mississippi State football program. Now, before we go, in case you haven't learned, the Mississippi State game against Missouri in men's basketball has been postponed. It was set to be played uh, later this week. Began to kind of hear some rumblings on yesterday that this might be the case, and so that is officially done. That game is being postponed. Uh, so Mississippi State remains undefeated, right, in uh, SEC play. But we want to get on the floor. We want to play, and that's a road game that uh, I think Mississippi State had a really good chance to win. And we'll get that opportunity to play them later. We just don't know. And what's so crazy, too, it, you know, we, we go through football season and we don't really have a lot of these reschedules. We get into basketball and it seems like we're having a ton of them. We're having a ton. And so, trust me, there will be some other games that get postponed and rescheduled. They've changed the protocols and that sort of stuff. So, just be ready for that. And uh, I'll be honest with you, as much as I hate to say it, I wouldn't – I don't know that I would buy make any plans to go to a road game just because you just never know what's going to happen. The good news is, is we get this information in a couple of days lead time so people like aren't on their way to a game or have flown to San Diego, California, and only to find out there's no game going to be played. So that's not going to take place. And so, you know, kind of is what it is. So we'll kind of look forward to uh, what's next for Mississippi State. You know, the, the women, of course, didn't play on uh, against Florida, and then we had the, the schedule change, ended up playing – uh, South Carolina, and it was a game for a while. Give the ladies some credit. You know, really not a lot of time to prepare, you know, for that game and uh, to play number one South Carolina. Went up there and made a game of it for a while, uh, and then we lose. Not a big surprise there, but we lose 80-68. to 68. And the ladies showed they had some real fight in them. That was the thing. I think it, when they announced, oh, we're going to go to South Carolina instead, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, guys, we battled in this ball game. Matter of fact, that second quarter, we we were down by one, you know, 22-21. Um, 
That's the point total. But, uh, you know, we win the fourth quarter, but the game had all been decided by then. But, you know, we finally get SEC play underway, and we kind of get that loss of South Carolina out of the way. And you hate to look at it that way, but they're, they're a machine right now. There's no doubt about it. Now, we are set to play tonight uh, at Kentucky. That game is postponed. So we hope to play Thursday uh, against Alabama. That's going to be in Lexington, in Tuscaloosa. That'd be kind of weird to go play Alabama in Lexington. Uh, but the reality of it is there's going to be a lot of bob and weave with this basketball schedule on both the men's and women's side, not just involving Mississippi State, but the entire country. So just be mindful of that as you kind of move forward. Again, I want to thank you guys so much for your support of the Boneyard. Uh, I'm going to get this show posted. I'm going to go grab some lunch, uh, go run some errands, and we'll get back and we'll, uh, we'll join, rejoin the discussion over at jeanspage.com. If you're not a subscriber, you certainly should be. Uh, our experts are the best. I'll, I won't be modest about that. Matter of fact, if you're a Jeans Page subscriber, you heard yesterday the possibility that this Mississippi State-Missouri game may get postponed. So you know, we kind of keep our ears to the ground, and we want to provide you guys with a service. And the reality of it is is nobody is going to give you more in-depth coverage of Mississippi State athletics than we are over at jeanspage.com. Uh, Paul Jones and I will be kind of monitoring all the recruiting activity between now and NAFL signing day. Going to be a kind of a sprint to the finish. A lot of transfer names getting out there, and so we've kind of been – you know, relaxing a little bit, kind of enjoying our families a little bit during the holidays. But we're gearing up for that big run down the stretch, and uh, we'll have you the latest information and updates on the targets that you care about. People are already saying, who, who, Steve, who are the guys? You know, we're still figuring that out. We're still figuring it out. But uh, probably going to be somewhere around a 30-man class this year. So still some names to discover and some names to visit and names for you guys to get to know. We'll keep up with that. And, of course, uh, Robbie Falk keeping his ear to the ground on all things women's hoops. And uh, be, be mindful of that, too. You know, I don't know that anybody has attended more women's basketball games than Robbie has the last couple of years. He's done some road games, too, and it's a little more difficult this year because you just never know uh, how things are going to progress. And uh, But the reality of it is is that we care about Mississippi State. It's a passion for us. It's not just a job. And uh, come join our community over there. We have some very well-informed posters, of course, that uh, provide a lot of color and, and some insight into the discussion. So if you're not a jeanspage.com subscriber, you should be. The Mississippi State Affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.